You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Guys, this was probably one where we should have told our producer, Tim Hare, to just hit record earlier because we <laughs> just went down a bunch of rabbit holes before we actually started recording. Uh, tons to talk about. And I want to get to the valuations that Forbes put out today about the teams. We were just going down all sorts of rabbit holes and doing math and, and geeking out, and we'll do that a little bit later on. But first, we got to talk about the Kentucky Derby, Churchill Downs, Bob Baffert, and the winner of the Kentucky Derby, Mike Lynch, uh, tested positive for drugs. This is a really big, really disturbing, and yet altogether not that surprising story, right? No, Bob Baffert's a little bit radioactive in the horse racing world. He has been in trouble at a lot of different states and and racetracks around the country. But his horse, Medina Spirit, uh, the post-race drug test failed. And Bob Baffert has been banned from Churchill Downs. Now think about this. This is like Tiger Woods being banned from Augusta National. Like Bill Belichick being banned from ever competing in a Super Bowl again. That's how big this is. And this hasn't happened. A Kentucky Derby winner hasn't been DQ'd for failing a drug test since Peter Fuller's dancer's image back in 1968. All right, uh, gambler among us, Mr. (laughs) Michael Barr. Um, How do you read this? I mean, first of all, we should get out of the way. One failed drug test. The horse has to be tested again. Baffert denies that they in any way used this anti-inflammatory drug that he and his team did. He's sort of crying foul that, you know, some either there's a mistake or somebody has done him and and his team wrong. I did uh, read a comment, which I can't take credit for, that said because of Bob Baffert and all of his uh, denials uh, over the past year alone, this is like your dog eating a semester's worth of homework um, in terms of the excuses uh, that he's making. But but what do you make of this from the from the perspective of someone who who follows this game from the window, as we say, this industry? Well, let me let me uh, point out the steroid is beta methazone. Yeah, and it's used sometimes to treat pain and inflammation in horses, which is a banned steroid. Now, having said that. I hate to say this. These stories happen often at the local tracks, and they kind of slip under the radar. But this, you're talking the horse race of the year, and you're talking the Hall of Fame trainer, and this comes out? It's OMG. I I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And by the way, and we were talking about this earlier, if you were on, if you made a bet, and even if you're on the, the online betting site and you bet Medina Spirit, you, you get the money. They, they right. can't take it back. It, it, it's, it's over and done with. And let's, now, let's also keep this in perspective. They haven't DQ'd the horse yet. Uh, so let's, let's make sure to say that. But, my goodness, this is huge. And it, if that happens where they DQ Medina Spirit, and by the way, the horse is set to run in the Preakness yep. this Saturday. I don't know what happens. And so, Lynchy, we talked about this a little bit, I believe, leading up to the Derby. That racing knows it. Horse racing knows it has a problem. And and in the midst of the pandemic, there were there was a lot going on, obviously, because of a global pandemic, and and eyes were elsewhere. Um, there has 
been some legislation passed that, that is trying to lock this down a little bit more to clean up the sport. It obviously hasn't happened yet, but I mean, this is a, one of the comparisons that I also saw in reading about this over the weekend is there's a Lance Armstrong sort of uh, echo here in, mm-hmm. in some ways with, with the denials. And I'm looking at the sports illustrated uh, headline and subhead says Bob Baffert's leaking credibility reaches saturation saturation point after Derby drug positive. When it comes to drug testing in sports, the denials are always vigorous, often fanciful, but are rarely compelling. This is bad for the sport. It is, and it happens in the sport's biggest event. This is like mm-hmm. something happening in the Daytona 500 or the Super Bowl or the Masters Tournament. Uh, Bast- uh, Baffert is a slippery guy, as everybody knows. He had a problem in Arkansas last year. And this this year had a record betting. Uh, only 2019 had more interest, uh, betting interest in the Kentucky Derby uh, than this year as well. So a lot of people came back, and a lot of people who th- want to stay away from this sport because they think it's a little bit shady – are going to be uh, a little bit disappointed again. It, it, it's bad public relations for the sport. Um, you know, you can just say, well, there's one bad apple, Baffert. There's a lot of bad apples uh, in that sport. And, they, and image polishing uh, is job one for them, and this doesn't help. Well, and and I do think it is hard to overstate the prominence of Baffert and his horses in this sport in, in many ways. This is not someone who is in any way, Michael Barr, on the fringes. I mean, he is... One of the most decorated uh, when it comes to big time horse racing. And so that starts to influence the perception that ultimately starts to influence the economics of this business. You know, we had a, a great conversation, I thought, leading up to the Derby with the CEO of Churchill Downs. We know how much money is on the line, not just from the gate as it were, but from the online betting that they have stood up there with Twin Spires. That is a driving force of this. But people are not going to participate. And again, I turn to you uh, as our gambling expert here. If people think it is fixed in any way, um, or there's cheating, I should say, in, in any way, I mean, I would imagine at some point people start to step back, or, or am I wrong there? No, no, you're not wrong at all. Uh, in in fact, uh there were I got a, a Twitter comment that was really negative about horse racing, uh, and and of course I said, well, of course you're you're entitled to your opinion, and and I get it, I get why people feel that way. Now, when you dope, if it happened, if you dope a horse, well, no, it has happened because Baffert said, yeah, the the horse tested positive for this. Now it's like according to Churchill Downs. Failure to comply with the rules and the medication protocols, it jeopardizes the safety of the horses and the jockeys, the sport's integrity, and the derby's reputation. And and as a better, now it, it turns into, it's like, okay, now I got to get Benny on the back in the stall to see if he's got any info on this. And nobody's going to do that. And a lot of people just go to the track. They'll study the the racing uh, book, and it's like, okay, this is uh, the program, and this is where we're going to go, and and let's see what the times are. But you know, this this is crazy, and and in the biggest sport, I guess that's where I'm like freaking out. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Chase, absolutely. Let me let me ask you this though: Is this an indictment on the on horse racing itself, or should it strictly be on Bob Baffert? Because this is the fifth time a horse that he has trained has failed a drug test. Well, you so got to remember too. It's not only just Baff. Remember the the Santa Anita affair, where yeah. people, the horses were just you know 
breaking down and, and they had to put the horse down. And it's, uh, this this is a mess. And it's I, you're right, Lynchy. It, it's it's a combination of both. But especially with Baffert, it's like, come on, man. It's you're the man. You're the trainer. You are you're, you're in the Hall of Fame and you could be out of the Hall of Fame if if this is true. So I, I don't know what to say. I mean, I go back to the Lance Armstrong comparison in part because I do think that one of the ways that this has been allowed to go on is under the guise of everybody does it, which was certainly, uh, I think, a lot of the defense. If you read some of the terrific books and, and articles and watch some of the documentaries that have been done about Lance Armstrong, he is very much of the belief that everybody was doing it. And that it, if you wanted to be competitive, you had to cut some corners and you had to do certain things. And so I don't think, I, I, I mean, based on, and I do not know as much as, as you do, Michael Barr, about this and probably less than you do as well, um, Lynchy, but it, it doesn't feel like this is just a bad apple situation. It, it feels like there is something broken with the sport, as there was clearly in cycling in, in many ways, that, you know, this was something that either people got away with for, for some amount of time. And I will tell you, if if cycling is any indication, it it crushes the economics of a sport when people find out that there is widespread cheating. Now, listen, there is cheating that has gone on and probably continues to go on in, in other major sports as well. Um, you know, baseball certainly had its moment dealing with its its own steroid crisis and, and yet was sort of able to, to get through. We'll talk about the existential crisis in baseball another time. But, you know, to me, this, this looks really bad um, and I think comes at a time – when this is not something that that the sports need sport needs now again we we should point out there's another test to go it's a split sample as they say so they're going to they're going to do a second test on on the same sample that they got from the horse and uh and we'll see you know whether the the suspension holds up whether the horse is disqualified you know i think barring something very strange happening, uh, probably aren't going to see a Triple Crown winner this year. And if we were to see a Triple Crown winner, I think people would would like rush to mm. write the biggest permanent marker asterisk on this that we've ever seen. So uh, we'll see what happens. But it is uh, it is not something certainly to to be taken lightly. And I think in this grand return that we've been talking about and that we did talk about with the CEO of Churchill Downs a couple couple weeks ago um this was not how they wanted the derby to to go off in any form or fashion all right let's talk valuations can we because i sure. just went down we we talked about this i went down so many rabbit hole you can't here. resist can you huh? i can't i really can't and and uh and what was funny is i give a shout out to an, an uh an email newsletter that i read just about every morning kendall baker writes it for axios sports and you know, there are a number of different valuations that come out around sports teams. Forbes is one of the ones that, that we all look at. Sportico, our friends over there, do a nice one uh, as well. But, you know, this is one, Lynchy, where I do think there are some surprises as you go through the top 10. The number one, without any further ado, the Dallas Cowboys, who, you know, they're the most valuable sports team in the world, single sports team 
the NFL. Haven't won a Super Bowl in, in quite some time, but Jerry Jones, man, he's got something that is very, very appealing and very, very valuable. What do you make of that? Well, it's not surprising. Uh, when they were tagged America's team in the yeah. 70s with Starback and them, it just sort of became a moniker that they never shook. And a lot of t- people in different parts of the country are Dallas Cowboy fans. They buy their jerseys. They buy their merchandise. They make an annual trip down there. He's got this stadium that can seat 110,000 people. He's got a great local TV contract. And he was one of the first guys that broke away. The NFL had a deal with Coca-Cola, and he was the renegade. He made a deal with Pepsi-Cola yeah. that, that uh, I think, tripled his uh, his profit on, on soda sales. This was back maybe 15 years ago, right after he bought the club. So I'm not surprised that they're number one. Um, you know, the Yankees, uh, you would say they are probably the most profitable baseball team. But then we get into some other ones, which are kind of surprising. The first NBA, uh, the Knicks are on there at number three. Yeah. But... Number six, the Golden State Warriors valued more than the Los Angeles Lakers, the New England Patriots, the New York football giants. That shocked me. Yeah, that was the one that I think stood out to to all of us. So by the numbers, the Golden State Warriors, the value, according to Forbes, $4.7 billion. Now, here's something that is really amazing, and this just shows you what a juggernaut this franchise is. So the current ownership group bought this team in 2010. They paid... Wait for it, four hundred and fifty million dollars. That's ten <laughs> x guys. That's Ooh. ten yeah. times your investment for Joe Lacob and Peter Gruber and the rest of the gang. Um, and we were we were digging into it a little bit, Michael Bartit, to try and figure out what it is. It, obviously, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, you know, the Splash Brothers, all of that. Winning championships certainly helps. That new arena in downtown San Francisco, apparently that's a big difference, putting them ahead of the Lakers. Oh, yeah. And if if it comes down to the players bumping the value of the team, and if I'm a player and everybody's like, oh, these guys get all this money, yeah, because of this. Yeah. And if, if I'm bringing in a lot of money for uh, a sports team and, and I'm up there, it's like, you doggone right, I want to get paid. Uh, one thing that surprised me about this <clears throat> I thought the Los Angeles Dodgers were going to be higher, but they're number 16. Mm-hmm. They're valued at $3.57 billion. And I thought then at the time, remember when Guggenheim Baseball Management, yep. when they purchased the team back in what, 2012, for $2 billion, I'm like, oh, guys. It's that like, seemed crazy. It's, it seemed crazy. And now they're they're almost approaching uh, knocking on two times their investment. So it, it shows you how much money is involved in these teams. One more um, bit on the Warriors, and then I have a, a question for you, Lynchy. So the Warriors, uh, they have the biggest five-year change in value in the top ten by a long shot, uh, 147%. That is the uh, five-year change in value. And as we said, uh, in terms of the overall valuation since the club was purchased by Lake of Friends uh, is 10x. So um, your New England Patriots are there. Yes. Uh, the Boston Red Sox round out the top 20. I do think it's important to point out that there's only one ownership group that we can see that actually has two teams in the top 20, and it is Lynchy. Yeah, Liverpool and the Red Sox, Fenway Sports yeah, Group. I exactly. So, yes. I mean, an interest, especially because we've been talking about Liverpool in a different context over the past few weeks with the European Super League and uh, all of its woes and who knows whether 
what what happens next on that and we could talk about that a, a little bit more in a minute but you know here you have two incredibly valuable fast growing uh, franchises certainly Liverpool uh, you know what's interesting is the football teams the soccer teams I should say for our American audience who are in the top 10 are not uh, English football teams. You have Munich, Bayern Munich uh, in there, and you have Barcelona. I think those are the – and Real Madrid, excuse me. Um, so those those are uh, all three of them in the top 10. Liverpool is just outside the top 10, and then the Red Sox there uh, in the top 20. So that is a very, very – that probably is the most valuable sports group uh, at least according to to this list, in terms of uh, across there, and those Boston sports can't sleep on it. Uh, they got they got two <laughs> right there and right there in the top twenty. Although you know New York probably it's a little it's what we little do bit richer. Yeah. I'm just saying it's fine. That's what we, that's what we do. We just hang banners around here. We don't have division. <laughs> Man, <laughs> uh, conference championships. We just hang world championship banners. There you go. Yes. There you go. Any yeah. other surprises for you on this, Lynchy? No, I think that you know that that the people that really haven't paid much attention to European football yeah. are having their eyes open first with this failed Super League, uh, what has been happening now with this list, and saying, "Wow, this is really something that, that you know this is you know we pay attention once every four years in the World Cup." Basically, the majority of of viewers around here are, are for sport. Um, that that's their on their on their menu pretty much. So. Um, the other one that uh, sort of surprised me a little bit was the uh, the Rams, but I think it's only because they've only had a year or so in that stadium. They haven't yeah. had a, a full year with fans. They're gonna they're gonna vault up a little bit. And Kronky owns uh, Arsenal, I think, over That's in them. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this is gonna change uh, over the next year or so. Yeah, absolutely. That stadium uh, is certainly going to continue to contribute. Their SoFi Stadium, which uh, as of right now is scheduled to host the next. Super Bowl as well. Uh, I did want to do a beat, if we could, on college sports before we wrap up this conversation. A big interview with Mark Emmerich in the uh, New York Times over the weekend talking about name, image, and likeness. This is something we've talked about Mm -hmm. on this show quite a few times. A lot of states, including my home state of Georgia, have recently pushed through this notion that players should be paid for – can and should be paid – by companies who want to use their name, image, and likeness to promote their products. And here we go. The NCAA finally said, yeah, we probably should go ahead and do something about this. We actually are going to vote. You know, Lynchy, I know you have some opinions about this in terms of you you decide, and I'll let you say it for yourself, but sort of on the side of the um, – there's a lot of value in a college education, which I think nobody would, would argue with. But it feels like – this train is leaving the station to some extent on the name, image, and likeness side as well. Right. Well, I'm going to lose on this because it's going to happen. The NCAA would like to have it happen by July 1st. Um, I talked to my sister last night. Her daughter just got admitted to Boston College. And the the room board and tuition, yeah, thank you, Mm. $80,000 per year. Wow. So that's $320,000 education. So my... uh, soapbox that I stand on say it's a mutually beneficial relationship. The school gives exposure to an athlete that otherwise wouldn't have it if they were not playing for that particular school. Uh, The athlete's stature rises through all the appearances on television. If Trevor Lawrence didn't go to Clemson, would he be the number one draft choice in the National Football League right now if he played like pickup football? No. 
He did yeah. because he went to Clemson. And so now he's going to he gets a contract that's uh, you know worth thirty six million dollars a year. I know it's coming. If it's coming, I want the money put into a trust so it can't be spent while they're in school and they draw on the trust when they leave college. That's that's as far as I'm going with this one. <laughs> so a couple things to say. I mean, Michael Barr, it is important to point out that you know this is not the colleges at this point in time, and this could change down the road. This is not the colleges paying right. players directly. We have effectively sort of nationally tabled that, at least for the time being, although there is a Supreme Court case that could throw that uh, into question as well that has been argued before the court, and the court is meant to rule uh, probably in the June time frame. Uh, that's more related to, to colleges and their uh, and the NCAA and its antitrust exemption and, and what that may mean for, for colleges paying directly. The one thing that, that I would say, and I take your point, Lynchy, on, on the Trevor Lawrence example, one fascinating thing that, that really came to the fore as I was researching this for a recent documentary is that the, the beneficiaries of this particular name, image, and likeness legislation, whether it's through the NCAA or through the individual states, interestingly, may end up not being, even though the Trevor Lawrences and the Zion Williamsons in the world will you know almost certainly benefit from this it will be interesting to see whether teams and individual players on say the yukon women's basketball team whether it is olympic caliber athletes who are in college get to benefit from this um stars who might not otherwise get to get that big nfl payday or that big nba payday that this will be the payday excuse me that this will be the pinnacle of their athletic achievement and you know you're you're often talking about the say just using the yukon women's basketball team as an example these are the most famous athletes in connecticut for a time and you know and my argument would be they deserve to be compensated that uh for that in in some form or fashion so i take your argument lynchy about you know wanting to be safe and sound with with your money uh but i think that the tide has shifted and oh, yeah. probably rightly on this. And I do think, most importantly, the NCAA, thank God they actually are going to act on this because I do think, Barr, it would be a hell of a mess if you just left it up to the states. And then you're going to have oh. a lot of different uh, elements here. So the NCAA needs to get off its collective butt and and really make something happen. And, and let's add, the, the laws we're talking about by the states, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, and New Mexico – those are the states right now that are pushing for this. And it's funny. I, I'm, I'm listening to this discussion. I'm listening to Lynchy's argument. And, and you know my argument as a degenerate gambler. Get paid, ladies and gentlemen, as much as you can legally. <laughs> but we come to one point of a compromise that we agree on, Lynchy, and that is I could go with put the money in a trust. And then when you graduate, there's that money for you because don't give a college athlete a wad of cash because we know what's going to happen for a lot of these people if they do it, and it's mm-hmm. going to be spent. So that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that the the one other argument that I've heard around this that I'm sure I've said on this show before and, and I've said in many private conversations is I do think that it is reasonable to expect that an athlete should be able to to benefit from his or her own accomplishments in the same way that another college student 
who also may be on a scholarship of some sort and may be getting the benefit of a reduced price or a free education at one of these schools if he or she writes a book or invents an app mm-hmm. or you know makes some sort of medical discovery that is ultimately commercialized there's no restriction on them getting paid so mm. we'll see where where this turns out um but certainly a big step forward with the NCAA which had effectively tabled this, and I think the pressure was really growing. You know, some of the reaction that I got over the weekend, just as I was tweeting about it, was largely around, so what happens with Congress here? Because in the U.S. Congress, Chris Murphy, um, a senator from Connecticut, maybe not surprisingly, given everything we've just been talking about related to Connecticut, (laughs) he is very much in favor of this legislation. I spoke with him for this documentary that that I um, worked on around this. So there is some federal legislation that is making its way through. Obviously, the Congress is dealing with things like COVID relief and infrastructure and all sorts of things. So we may see that this summer. So there there do need to be um, some rules here. One quick story. I do remember when I was in college, I, I worked at a football camp run by one of our assistant coaches. And I drove about 45 minutes every morning, spent eight hours there. And I was not allowed to get paid yeah. because I was an NCAA mm-hmm. athlete. A friend of mine was in the school band, you know, played at halftime. Mm-hmm. In the summertime, he could play. Uh, he played the saxophone and could play with his gig. And, and, and they were making money at, at all these uh, jazz clubs and, and restaurants and, and pubs. And, you know, he'd come back at the end of the summer and have like two grand in his pocket. And I had to go spray mosquitoes for the town of Swampscott to make the $2.35 an hour. I couldn't make any money teaching anybody how to throw a spiral. Or kick a winning field goal, right? I mean, it's like, come on. You're not telling me, Lynchy, that you wouldn't have showed up at a local car dealership? You'd be like, Lynchy, the hero of Harvard, kicking through the uprights and get a deal on a new Mercedes Benz. All I know is I know you had to do some handyman work for that football you put through that lady's window man that's right, right, right through there <laughs> this is the bloomberg business of sports podcast i'm michael Barr on twitter at big bar sports and i'm lynchy i know when i'm beat i'm waving the white flag on this uh, in name image and likeness but i had to get my two cents in you can find me at lynchy wcvb and i'm jason kelly find me on twitter at jason kelly news we're here each and every monday wednesday and thursday exploring the world of money and sports and speaking of those golden state warriors check us out at the end of the week we're going to check in with brandon schneider he is the cfo of the warriors so he's going to tell us all about how to build one of the world's most valuable sports franchises you're listening to bloomberg business of sports on bloomberg radio around the world and online wherever you get your podcasts 